Capitalia Talk, the podcast where we talk about any and everything, just like the day taking with your boys, your girls, and all the homies. It's your boy, Quattro. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Slick Rob. No introduction needed. Let's get it. Yeah, man. How you been? Everybody good? Oh, yeah, of course. I like it, man. I'm, I'm chilling, bro. I'm uh, currently, as we're recording this in Jacksonville, but I'll be heading back to Tallahassee in the morning, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to get back home. But... Um, as you guys can hear, uh, Kid Cab and DJ Nua are not with us today. They uh, have some other some prior engagements to deal with. But it's, me and Slick will have a really good episode for you guys. Um, so, real quick, let me get into this business real, real quick. You can catch us on Instagram at Cafeteria Talk Official. You can catch us on Twitter at Cafeteria Talk. And if you haven't listened to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to give us five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, we'd love to see that, see what you guys think of the show. Um and and really let us know what you got what you guys want to hear. So with that being said, um, before we get into one of our favorite segments of the show, I just want to pull the veil back on us a little bit. I on Instagram told you guys I was coming at you with the double header review of Maka Marie and Judas and the Black Messiah. I folded. Life got crazy, so I did not do that. But I'm gonna come to you guys with the whole. Doubleheader review episode where we review Malcolm and Marie and Judas and the Black Messiah. So get ready for that. But Slick Rob, tell us about this segment we got to get into first. Oh, of course. You know, we just love to put y'all on stuff with the put on segment. Basically, anything that we may have just seen, read, listened to, or even eaten in our boy Prodigy's case that we think you, the people, should definitely check out or check into, if you know what I mean. But anyway... I obviously always go first as we do oldest to youngest, and I'm going to put y'all on an old book, um, old Star Wars book. We haven't done books lately here, but um, it's called, um, it's an old canon book, if any Star Wars fans out there, called Dark Disciple. Um, me and DJ Noah currently are kind of reading that um, at the moment in our little venture of a little Star Wars thing. So yeah, definitely Dark Disciple follows. Um, the story of right before the end of the Clone Wars with Quinlan Boss and Asajj Ventress trying to go after Dooku. And, well, basically, the attempt to assassinate Count Dooku to help win the war. And it was, it's honestly a very dope story. Um, sadly, um, spoiler alert, it's not that big of a spoiler because everyone kind of knows it now. It did lead to what happened to Asajj Ventress after her little stint with Ahsoka and all that. So, yeah, definitely, I should definitely check it out on one of the, my favorite arcs that, sadly, they could not make it into on screen. But yes, definitely love it. Check out Dark Disciple. Um, Star Wars Dark Disciple. I don't even remember who wrote it. But yeah, currently reading it right now in this gas. Nice, nice. I have heard of that. And actually, um, when they were... Right before Star Wars, the Clone Wars got canceled the first time, um, they had planned... That was one of the arcs they had planned to yeah. do in the next season. And they had even like had some of it made. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Just really, really low rendered. But I was really excited for that because I, I I knew the story. Like, I've heard somebody, uh, shout out Star Wars Theory, he, he had explained it. And I was like, yo, that sounds like a dope-ass story. Yeah. Um, so I wish they had made that. I even wish they had made it in the new episodes, but it's all right. 
Um, my put on is going to be for my drinkers out there. Uh, I don't know if you follow the page. Uh, hopefully you do. That would really hurt me if you didn't. But um, Quattro just recently turned 21 years old uh, as of Valentine's Day. I am now 21 years old. And so that with that, that comes new privileges and, and new experiences. And one of those experiences is called Angry Orchard Hard Apple Cider. And man, it is my drink of choice. It's so good. It's It's got a very crisp taste. You know, it's called apple. It's crisp apple for a reason. Um, really, because I'm not a big beer drinker. Like, I don't, I'm not, beer, like, to me, has a very, like, shit taste. And, because, like, it's really no taste, but, like, it's a taste, but it's disgusting. Um, but, like, hard cider, it's just, like, it's apple juice. It's kind of just, like, apple juice. And it's got alcohol in it. And it's really, really good. It's really smooth. Something I really like drinking. So, um, if you guys want to try out a new alcoholic beverage for my people that are over the age of 21, feel free to check out Angry Orchard Apple Hard Apple Cider. Uh, so far, every liquor store, every grocery store that I've been in, like, ha- carries it. So I think it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty like um, standard hard cider. It seems like everybody had it. Like I went to a to Mellow Mushroom, the restaurant today, with some friends, and they had it on tap. So if they have a restaurant or bars got it on tap, like you. It, it's pretty they that means they sell it a lot they have it on top so um check that out that's a it's a good good drink feel free to to let me know comment and tell me what you like to drink you know give me put me on to some uh to some alcoholic beverages uh and drink responsibly always do that but slick rob usher us in to the nitty and the gritty of this episode well you already know what you guys are here you're here to listen to some good movie reviews of two Great um, movies that came out this past um, month in February for the culture, obviously, and for to also educate everybody. Well, not necessarily one of them, but one of them definitely did. But yes, we're definitely finna go rate these movies, and I'm gonna let y'all know how we do this. So first, we also talk. We first go into the visuals. What do you do when you go to a movie? You watch it. You experience it for yourself. So the visuals. How does the movie look? Does it catch the viewer's eye? You know, does this encompasses costume light? Lightscapes and also the CGI if there's CGI incorporated in this and I do not, I'm I not either I don't one. think either of these have I don't think CGI. either one has CGI yes and then we go into the story what's it about and does it tell a good well paced story comment on the writing the tone and the structure of everything and then also the implications what am I left with you know do you, do I want to see more and since we're doing movies do I want to see another movie a spinoff possibly of a character or any any all that jazz. And then, you know, and then at the end, we give it a table score and we rate it from scale of 1 to 10. And, of course, we've abducted the 0.5 system, which I thought we'd never do here, which is kind of cool. But uh, I don't know we'll have a 0.5 system since the two of us, but we might. And I think we have a couple times. The last one we did, we like the first episode we added the 0.5s, we did end up at giving a movie a 0.5. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, and also, you already know, well... Probably say starting now. Spoiler alerts for, like we mentioned in the beginning, Malcolm and Marie and Judas and the Black Messiah. And the movie we're going to begin with first is Malcolm and Marie streaming on Netflix. Let's see here. It was written and directed by Sam Levinson, starring Zendaya as Marie and John David Washington as Malcolm. The synopsis reads as a filmmaker on the brink of Hollywood glory and his girlfriend whose story made his career find themselves pushed towards a reckoning as a single tumultuous night 
decides the fate of their relationship. It got a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, a 58% Rotten Tomato score, and a 53% Metacritic score. Slick Rob, you know, you said it already. Got to start with the visuals. Tell me about it. Well, visuals, what I would say from a certain point, it was already eye-opening from the first for the first couple shots. Um, it seemed like a very, um, it seemed very structured. Um, one thing I did like, of course, because it was shot completely in, um, you know, black and white, shot gray, you know, that type of film, which I does, which I do think was a artistic style choice by Sam Levinson, who of course was the creator, producer, director, all that jazz, um, because it kind of is like a. The I the colors of black and white is like something you would do if you're really just trying to open up and put everything on the table, you know, not mask away anything, any situation, just have it strictly black and white and just straight uncut raw, uncut an uncut raw movie. And I really did dig that because I feel like the black and white really did put emphasis on um, Malcolm and Marie's um their states at the moment. Everything was very there like like there's no sugarcoating just black and white straight this and that and then shots you know um i love the use of shadows they did in this movie and and wide you know a lot of stuff was wide and then very and then also in your face um one of my favorite shots was definitely when malcolm and marie both had their little ventures outside mm-hmm. um when marie obviously when malcolm went to go search for her um when they were having their talk and all that good stuff i definitely love the encompasses of the shadows and how it was shot because it was like it's almost like looking at a moving picture which is literally like what a movie is motion picture but like the the shots of marie by the tree malcolm by the tree literally like a picture moving like boom 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 it was very cool that's one of my favorite elements because there was no talking no dialogue it was just like watching like a almost like a silhouette drawing going drawing. i thought that was very gassed and then the house shots like just, bro, just, man, man, that cameraman, bro, he had to keep moving, bro. I got to get, whoever was the cameraman, I give him props. They obviously worked on Euphoria, so I saw aspects from Euphoria with mm-hmm. the constant moving camera, then the quick room to yeah. another shot. Like, that was straight, because, like, they were, they were arguing most of the movies, so I'm like, bro, if I'm a cameraman, I'm drained, because y'all walking around too long, be like, hey, make it, make it, slow down. Dang. And then props to the actors for actually able to still work around those shots with that, because I think, oh my god, uh, I'll have to look at it later, but uh, whatever his name is, the um, cinematographer, I follow him on Instagram, because he's part of he's part of um, Levinson's team, but he ate that with the, oh, I can't remember the name of the camera, but yeah, the visuals were so gassed, especially the outside tree, um, the dark tree shots with Marie and Malcolm walking, and then Malcolm also in the forest, going absolutely crazy, sensational. Yeah, visuals, definitely just always so good, honestly. Fine. Um, in terms of the visuals for me, like pretty much everything you said, I, I completely agree. Uh, it was movie. It was a beautiful from the first frame to the last frame. Um, I love one of the things that stuck out to me was like the little things that they that they use in the cinematography in terms of like when, when she was cooking the mac and cheese and like how they were really in detail of how she was cooking it, you know, cutting the cutting the, the butter and, you know, pouring the, the noodles in the strainer. I thought that was really cool. Um, her running the bath with uh, Marie running the bath was uh, really well done. And I did, I like how you mentioned their ventures outside. 
and I really liked how John David Washington really used uh, that that like clear trail to really act use that level of physical acting was really really well done. Um, I also really like the wide shots, like especially like at the end where they're standing um, kind of outside and like you see Marie walk up to to John David Washington's character Malcolm um, at the end, and it just was crazy because you usually use color in movies to really you know. Tell tell people where where your character is at that time. Um, use them to see, kind of show emotions and stuff like that. But with the lack of color, like even what was happening on screen gave you the emotion already. So you really didn't need it. And some there were lights and darks, of course, you know, because it is a black and white film. So like there's gonna be lights and darks regardless. But just shout out to Sam Levison who really did a good job of using the visuals to really tell his story, which which is like you mentioned it before, which he does all the way through Euphoria. So, um, which, you know, the the similarities that can be drawn between this and Euphoria is definitely a point of contention, which we definitely will get into when we start talking about the story. But definitely visually, this movie, you know, pretty much is a 10 out of 10. Like, it it looked amazing. Uh, Like you said, great stylistic choice in terms of making it black and white. And um, that's pretty much all I got on visuals, man. It's just really, really, really well done. Yeah, and I finally actually found the type of camera it was shot on. It was shot on Kodak Shoot Film Double X Stock, and it was developed by what? Photochem. Photochem, the um, the um, cinematographer Marcel Rev, who, like I said, is on. That's the guy I was thinking about. That's on Sam Levis's team. Um, said it was shot well and all that. And it was color graded, you know, obviously kind of weird here. It was color graded, but it wasn't black and white with Tom Poole and Company 3. So shout out to them for, I believe, for providing some of the funds because I believe most of this was definitely, um, you know, they used this with most of their budget. Like Zendaya pitched money into this and so did Sam. So like, you know, shout out, shout out to them, you know, them putting their budget in. Obviously, they will pay the producers and all that was very gas and I'm. Yeah, shout out to shout out to Marcel Ref for the visuals, man. Give you props. Also, one thing, Sam Levison, bro. Yo, the way you do your wide shots, like, bro, like, uh, it's sensational. And I'ma just need you to continue doing that, just to, <laughs> just keep doing that, please. Thank you. We we appreciate that very well. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite shot? My favorite shot. I was just looking at it. Is um, well, it's a toss up, but. It's either the shot of out, them outside with the two with the big tree branches um, where Malcolm was first searching for Marie because that was kind of like almost a little, not an endless loop, but it was like that for about four minutes where you saw him walking. Then you saw Marie showing up and then walking through. You see her shadow. Either that or the bedroom when, um, when you get the wide shot of the window and then you got the bed mm-hmm. and then you got Malcolm standing outside to go greet marie in the morning when marie woke up that was pretty gas because that's kind of how that's actually the last shot of the film you see both of them kind of in the middle between that middle window outside and malcolm's just i believe staring at her or something and she's just standing there it was very there was a trope that like it was very gas i i noticed it and then um it also kind of was expounded upon a little bit you know we talked about in our the five bloods review um, Spike Lee's way of shooting, of course, when you're shooting somebody who's, you know, in power, you shoot, you shoot down. And when somebody, you know, is in, 
you know, the submissive in the scene, you shoot up at them. Um, They did a lot of that in terms of this movie, and that's how they used... They used that to show who had the upper hand in the argument. Because every time... It seemed like every time that Malcolm would, like, really hone in on Marie, he was talking down to her. She was either in a seated position... Or, like, he was standing over her. And, of course, John David Washington's taller than Zendaya. Not yeah. by much, but he is. Yeah. He's talking talking down to her. But then when you when they, when they it gets to a point where Marie has the upper hand in the conversation, Marie is talking to, down to John David. He's in a seated position. Or he's, um, you know, being talked down to. And when there's a lull in the conversation, they're together. They're sitting. You're facing each other. And... Um, they're able to to tell the story in, in that way, just like in the stances and the way they were looking at each other on screen, uh, which is what I really, really liked about it because I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, that lets you know as the viewer like who kind of has the upper hand, even though the dialogue definitely puts it to where, to, you know, who's in power in the scene, which is Yeah, that is amazing. True. But anything else on the visuals before we move on? No, not at the moment. Also, no. Zendaya and John David Washington are just, like, beautiful people. I don't know why. They, it's not fair. Yeah, I could not see anybody else playing these characters. Uh, I, I can, but let's go ahead and get into the story. So, um, I guess I'll go ahead and go first. This movie was definitely not what I expected it to be. I think I may have watched the trailer maybe once. And so, going in, I didn't know exactly what this movie was going to be about. I definitely don't think I assumed, not assumed, I guess, like, the trailer would have definitely told you what this movie would have been. But I coming away, I'll just scratch all that, that whole last thought. Coming away, I think that mo- this movie could have been longer or with, like, backstory and other characters because the writing was very very heavy-handed to me because like they would constantly mention a new person like every five minutes especially in the first half of the movie and it'd be like okay like why is this person important who is this person why is marie talking about this person why is john david talking about this person malcolm sorry but i just wanted to see like you know more because it just seemed like you were just playing catch up for the first half of the movie because by the, by the second half of the movie, they're, you know, explaining and going through, like, everything they talked about the first half, which is fine. So I just felt like they needed to do a little bit more in terms of fleshing out how they got to this point in the movie. Like, just even if you gave us 15 minutes or little spurts, little flashbacks about what happened, it kind of, like, kind of give us idea give us an idea of how we got there one of my one of the things that i said when i talked to ty over at brackets and b-rolls uh about this movie was that what one of his favorite sayings was, was playing around in my head once i saw the movie i was like show don't tell it was a lot of of telling me what happened and given there was only two characters we only see uh malcolm and marie on screen and but like they mentioned almost 20 30 people in between the both of them and all those people like you know, have an important piece of the story that, you know, gets them to this to this screaming match by the end of the movie. So I just felt like that that writing was just a little heavy handed. And then I also had some issues with the similarity between Marie and um Marie and Rue and Euphoria. 
because given that they were played by the same actor and then written and written and directed by the same writer and director, I just felt like um, creatively that might have been not confusing because obviously Baca Marie is completely separate uh, project from Euphoria. It just felt very uh, like if you just wanted to like it felt like this movie was like something that they wanted to do in Euphoria or like was an original idea for Euphoria, but they like scrapped it. But like it's a really good idea. And so they just kept it around and like, hey, Zendaya, you want to play like you want to play this girl? Yeah, because I mean, they both they both had serious drug problems because because Marie is is obviously. I'd say maybe five or six years older than Rue's character. And so like she's had her drug problem. She's gotten past it. She's lived a lived a pretty much normal life after it afterwards, found love and all that stuff. And so she's kind of like an adult version of Rue in a sense. And like, cause legit, when I watched the movie, the scene where she grabs the knife and she's talking to uh, John David Washington's character, Malcolm, I don't know why I can say Marie, but not Malcolm, um, about like, where are the drugs? I got mad. I was like, bro, so like, are you just, you really just wrote Rue again for this movie, but that wasn't the case because obviously that was um, Zendaya uh, acting out so she could show Malcolm her authenticity. But I'll let you uh, respond before I get into anything else. So. Well, um, story. Uh, well, see, like, now that I think about it, because, like, see, one thing I did, I watched a lot of the, see, a lot of this movie wasn't spoiled for me. Um, it was sort of like, it kind of, re- it was kind of reimbursed to me because I watched a lot of the, um, because what Hollywood has been doing now, since they can't go out and promote movies now, like go tour and do all that for movies, they've just been doing a lot of interviews with actors, with various interviewers. Like, um, I can't remember his name, but he was on. He was the Watch Mojo, Mojo guy that interviewed Tom Holland and them a couple years ago for Spider-Man. But he interviews Zendaya and Tom David and Variety interviews. So a lot of people have been, they've been doing a lot of Zoom interviews. So I watched a lot of those because, um, you know, currently... You know, that's the big thing now. So, you know, instead of, since you can't, since because of COVID, you can't search. You gotta, you guys gotta do interviews. So, I, so I was watching these interviews and they kind of explained certain scenes. And then, they, look, bro, and the actors now, bro, like, think about it. Like, since you're not touring, the movie ain't come out. But actors are low-key just giving out a lot of stuff. So, you know, John David, they talked about the mac and cheese scene. They also talked about, and then Zendaya in one interview talked about how he doesn't, what the movie's actually about, like, okay, he does not thank her at his thing. So that's why the main reason why they argue. And I'm like, well, huh, well, I wish I would have not heard that in this interview. But thank you. But so, yeah, in regards to the story... um, Yeah, wait, they said that in an interview before yeah. the movie came out? This is before the movie dropped on Netflix. This is about a couple weeks before the movie dropped on Netflix. Well, they apparently, were, like, the movie had been out... I well, guess other places the because movie, it came out on twenty. It said it came out on twenty ninth of January. Yeah, the movie had been shown to various like actors and actresses and all that. So um, they have been interviewing with them and just talking. And like I saw a lot of roundtables with Zendaya because Zendaya has been doing roundtables out the ass these past few months. So like seeing the story, like and it's interesting. I kind of see how a story like this was made because like they literally said we literally just got together and said, "Hey, you want to make a movie." <laughs> So, yeah. So, like, when I saw how the story was written, I kind of figured, mm, it does. I wouldn't say rushed. I would just say it was, like, just thrown out there. Because, like, Zendaya, 
um, told, told um, what's his name? Sam, hey, yo, I want to make a movie. So Sam was like, all right, I'll write it up. He writes it up. He gives her an idea. And then he that's when he pitched out John David. And I'm just like, I could totally see, like, like the show and sell aspect. I did want to see a lot more show just because, like, I feel like there were some compelling characters that were mentioned in this movie. Yeah, for sure. That I could not see actually on screen. And that that was one thing that I was like, damn, like, damn it, Sam. But I can get it. I can get because it's something very new. Well, not new. See, because this but, movie. Go ahead. Sorry. It's not something Finish new, but it's something that's like a little unique. You haven't seen this in a while. Just literally two characters on screen, one room, all that. Last time I saw something like this was actually American Son. American Son. With um Kerry Washington and oh my god, white boy name, I just forgot He's a he's a he's a freaking Broadway guy. Yes. He's actually married to your girl. Uh he, he, did you know he's married to? Um Philip Sue. Yeah. Yeah. What is Oh my god. If y'all don't know who Philip Pursue is, y'all should not listen to this podcast and go watch Hamilton. Please. Uh, that's our girl, Eliza. <laughs> and Peggy. Oh my god. What is. Oh my. Uh, Stephen Pascal. Yeah, Stephen Pascal, yeah. So, like, yeah, we haven't seen something like that since American Sun. So, that was very intriguing to me. But, like, I've. Like, Sam did definitely, like, Sam Levinson, like, his creative writing style. I liked how he did it because it literally was like a whole ass argument the entire movie, which was very interesting. But like, I was just like, <laughs> like, bro, you mentioned these people, bro. We can't get like a quick flashback real quick. Like that was the main thing I was going through. Exactly. Because they were acting too good for me. You acting too good of a, in this argument. I want to see these other people, what they got to say. Because like, that's one thing in an argument, like, you know, they were saying this is their, what they were saying, how they were feel. But if the actual person was there, it'd be a little bit more compelling to see it. That was one. That was eh, that was just one little gripe I had. It, I mean, I get that's how the story was written. Um, plus, i.e., COVID. You know, they try to play on the safe side, so I got that. And then now, in regards to the whole like a little bit of a connection with Euphoria. Um, oh wait, before you go into that thought, um, what I wanted to kind of say about like kind of in terms of the uniqueness of the movie. It for me, like when I watched it again, it felt like. Um, they could have gone the route of like a, it's not do the right thing. It's, um, the other movie he did. She's got to have it and she's got to have it. It, the story, you know, centered around, I forgot her name, but the main character, I think her name was something like darling or something like that. And she, her story was like nonlinear and, you know, didn't have many characters because you, you just had Lars, the, the light, the big light skin dude and the buff black guy that she was dating. Sorry. I don't remember these names. But you got little spurts of the story and through each character. And I thought that I figured I feel like Sam Levinson could have done something like that um, to really drive what this movie, you know, becomes by the end of it. Uh, but go back to what you were saying about the connection to Euphoria. Yeah, um, I traditionally um, when it came to um, the the uh, well, the characters um, choices of everything, um, I preferably preferably like when it kind of connects for euphoria i really wasn't catching the euphoria vibes until honestly because like i said this movie kind of wasn't necessarily spoiled for me but they talked about the characters in this movie a lot in these interviews i watched before i watched the movie was in dan john david um they already talked about how marie had a, had a drug problem so like and like i wasn't too surprised with that because sam because Sam Levinson, what, one thing that is very true about him that Zendaya talks about a lot because she's like his biggest fan um, and is, 
obviously, because he works with her a lot. She says that he likes to try to write material that that he connects with real world that he can bring to life. So I wasn't too surprised with that. I didn't really get the Euphoria connection vibes until until she did her scene with um until not to say that this the scene with the knife when she um when she was said she doesn't plan on getting clean. That literally only reminded me of the shit from that that um special episode that she was in when she talked about how she uh she doesn't know drugs is the only reason she hasn't killed herself. She doesn't know she planned on getting clean. That's the only time I really had a real connection like that. I thought, oh, boom, before. Of course, even though it was the authenticity act, which was actually, she actually killed that shit. I'm going to give her a props for a second. I thought baby girls for real. I'm like, bruh. For real. She broke, she broke a lot of people, I feel like. I was like, bruh, really, nigga? Why? But, uh, yeah, um, I think it was because, like, me, like, I was really trying to hone in on the, um, I was really trying to hone in on who, like, because I was trying to see who Sodom would pick in this situation of the fight. I barely was trying to pay attention to the connections. I didn't see the connections to the second part. I was like, okay, I see, like, they plug. It was mainly, like, one offliners I heard that gave me reminiscence of Euphoria, mainly from Marie, you know, from shit Marie said. And, um, yeah, I, I think it was, I think it was okay. Um, I'm, look, I'm all for the, I'm all, I was all for it just because, you know, it was something unique. Um, Definitely uh, definitely could have seen, like, you know, the different people would have definitely helped me. Um, But I was okay with it, honestly, because it... I think it was because just how well-paced it was written and the acting definitely just carried it through. And it also touched on different... It don't... Well, we could talk about that in a little bit, but it, it segued into different aspects of the film industry and all that, which was kind of, which I did not expect to see coming out of from Sam Levinson, which was kind of cool to see. But yeah. That's awesome. Um, I agree. I, I think that there were definitely some multifaceted points there. Um, I would definitely say kind of shifting gears. Um, the argument point points were very interesting because there were some scene, some lines and some, some pieces of the arguments where I was like, Wow, that 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 one hit home. Like that's that's crazy. But then there were some where I was just like, I feel like the the script was trying to keep this movie going a little bit longer, where arguments kind of felt forced and made no sense. Now this obviously was meant to mimic you know a normal argument between a couple because you know like scenes where you thought the fight was over and then today it will come back with day. I just think it's funny that like that's exactly how you know a lot of arguments work. I remember like I remember the scene where you know. It was like the middle of the movie and Malcolm and Marie had got to a point where they were like kissing on the way about to get into it, like right on the floor of their living room. And all of a sudden, uh, Malcolm is like, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to like use it. Give me 30 seconds. Like, don't get pissed off in the next 30 seconds. I'll be right back. Just like chill and we'll be okay. And he comes back. She's sitting up and she's like. Hey, so basically, like, I just think it's funny that, and I, I literally felt myself in my apartment just going, <sighs> yeah. and just going back into it. So I thought that was really cool, but yeah, man. and I understood why Marie was upset. I mean, like, she literally, she literally has spent her entire, um, you know, married life, you know, being his muse, and then for him not to to acknowledge that and say thank you was um, very, very, you know, cap. Um, yes, indeed. And, you know, just 
the way she was coming at Malcolm. And really, they both made strong, compelling points. But, you know, one of the things that rained for me was Marie when she was like, um, she questions like his love and loyalty to her because he used some of her most messed up things about her life to throw it back in her face when she felt like if you're supposed to love somebody, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't do that, even if we are as mad at each other as we are. Yeah. So, th- like, what did you think of the arguments? Because, of course, that's like the whole movie, pretty much. Yeah, the arguments um, definitely felt um, they were trying to one-up each other. Um, and, yeah, I can say that some of it did, like, feel a little drag. I was like, bro, we gonna get to the end of this? God dang. But literally, that's how... That's literally the point of the argument. Whoever you you trying to see is gonna come out on top, and obviously I do believe Marie definitely won that shit. I'm just saying, like, if y'all niggas think Malcolm won, I don't think I don't think y'all was watching the same movie. I, I don't think you was watching it because I I'm, I'm high key giving it to, to Malcolm, low key. Like high I think key. Malcolm made I think Malcolm made the strongest points, but I think at the end of the day, Marie got what she wanted. Which was her motherfucking thank you. So she got that shit. Because that nigga was... They, well, okay, like, I'll give you that because, yes, he was like 100% wrong for everything she said. But when she got mad at him for talking about... Um, what what was it? She got mad at him because she didn't he didn't cast her in the movie. And he was like... Yeah, that... I told you to... like I, I wanted you to audition. You're the one that said you didn't want to audition. That was her last argument point, too. And that shit made no sense. I'm looking at Marie like, bruh. You wasting time because like you literally, like you basically have already said how you felt. You trying to, she was just literally trying to make him feel more guilty for not saying thank you and all that. Like that, like that whole stint. Like I've seen a lot of people's like that was one of their favorite parts of the movie. I'm like, bro, why? It literally at that point it literally didn't make no sense. Like because like I'm looking at Marie like, bro, Marie, that was literally like your opportunity and you chose not to do it. Yeah, you chose not to do it. Like. I literally just that was the that was one of the only things about Marie. I'm just like, bro, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? You're not making no sense. Why he didn't cast you? Cause you ain't audition. It's not like you're just supposed to be granted, put on the uh, the pedal stool. Like, can't have your cake and eat it too, baby girl. Exactly, man. And that's all. That's all. Like, I was not trying to get too much change. Like, cause I'm not in the movie. Yeah. But that's all he was trying to get to understand. But like my one of my favorite parts of like their whole argument was when he one two punched her when she was in the bathtub. Because she had got on like this thing about how you know the movie was all about her. He used her life and um, and basically made a movie about it and did, didn't even acknowledge her. But then he was just like, "Look, you were yes, like was your life a big inspiration for the movie? Yeah, but it wasn't just about you. It was about a, a um. I was gonna try to use this big word that I knew, but I forgot it. It was a big um melting pot of all of his ex girlfriends." And he was like, look, I did this with her and she did this. I laughed with her and that's where this comes. And he just, he's going in. I mean, for a good, like, 10 minutes, he went in on her. And she's crying in the tub. I was like, bruh, like, he did not have to, like, eat up on her like this. That was just, that was a lot. Yeah, but it built it built into, like, see, that's the funny part. Like, it did build into, they, they did call each other. And, like, that's one thing that you, like, that, I think that's one good thing that did come out the argument. They did point out each other's flaws, Malcolm's flaw was his definitely big ego to feel wanted. And like, and I think that was one interesting thing because, um, like for African-Americans, like, you know, like me and yourself, like, even though we're not in the entertainment business, African-Americans in the entertainment business, a lot of them do, I've heard, do struggle with that because, you know, wanting to be accepted through Hollywood or want Hollywood to give them their credit and feel accepted by these white people. Because one of my, one of my biggest things was the white reporter. 
I want to see that. That was one of I the wanted, best monologues we've ever seen. I wanted to see her live in person right in that bit going, doom to do to do But obviously, we didn't get it. But Malcolm did his thing. And like I thought that was very... That fed into Mal, Marie pointing out Malcolm's ego. And then also Marie, her sense of basically, which kind of can have that little tie-in back to that Euphoria special episode with Rue, basically wanted people to feel sorry for you. Mm. And you want to stay in that so people feel sorry for you. Feel No, you don't want to change. Like he, they were pointing out each other's flaws. That was that was my favorite thing about the argument because that's thing I believe that helped them. Marie finally had to suck it up and realize, hey, look, not everything is gonna be about you and your shortcomings. You have to learn to move on and find something else to gripe on. You can't stick with your whole stint of you came from drugs, this and that. And then Malcolm, you can't let everything be about you and your damn ego. You have to push aside that, and you're not gonna be loved by everybody. And you don't, even though you don't understand how to fuck do people. Not and also I loved how Malcolm was like people just don't understand film. <laughs> Him using that excuse, which actually was a legitimate good excuse. I don't know if he was being for real or not. Like people just don't understand how films are made and how films are critiqued. And the whole one problem, one problem was that I was kind of iffy on a lot of people reviewed about, which I honestly can understand. You know, and it was like, bro, it's so weird how Mr. How Sam Levinson was kind of writing that whole monologue about reviewers. But it was done through a... Basically, it was what he was trying to say, but it was done through, through you know, through an African-American. I can get why some people would think that. But then I was like, eh. African Wait, say, say that one more time. Basically, the whole... the whole um, A couple of people that reviewed the movie I saw on YouTube, they were like, they thought it was interesting how Sam Levinson was trying to give his own take on the film industry through the eyes of Malcolm, who was a black man. I was like, I can get why y'all would say that, but check this out. And that's another reason y'all do not actually get film. Y'all critiquing films... He literally is calling y'all out as y'all saying this because Malcolm was saying people want to sit and critique films just because it was made by a black man. So it has something to do to play with the narrative of the black culture. That's not even the case. He just wanted to make a film. Them people, the same people that watched the movie, critiqued it the exact same way. They're not liking how Sam Levinson, once he was a black guy, to speak out on the film industry and how it's structured. It doesn't matter. Film, he's a filmmaker. It doesn't matter if his skin color. It's the filmmaking aspects. And I, and I like, find that interesting because one of the things I always questioned uh, about Euphoria was that, you know, it's come out and it's pretty well known that Euphoria and Rue is based off the life of Sam Levinson. Sam Levinson, a white man in America, is telling his story through a biracial girl in Euphoria. And then he's giving his... And then in this movie, he's giving his take of you know, the film industry through the eyes of a black filmmaker, which is, I think it's pretty cool that like, and that, and Malcolm explains that in the movie, he's like, look, film is not, you know, the straight line. You have to tell it a certain way. You have to be right about everything, authentic about everything. Film is about you looking at the world and you notice because you're a filmmaker and, and me as an artist, it you look at the world and you interpret it into the way that you, you know, A, see fit or the A or B, the way you see it. Um, and so, you know, for people to critique it and say you have to fit in a certain box is, is, is actually my boggling because film, it's not supposed to be like that. It's not fun. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, um, it's like after Hamilton, you know, came out again on Disney plus and people were, were dragging it through the mud. Oh, you know, you didn't tell all the story, you know, Thomas Jefferson had slaves and George Washington was this and, yeah. and, and, uh, Angelica already had done this and Peggy was dead and all that. Yes. All very much so true. Yeah. And if and if Lin Manuel Miranda had came out and said, "Hey, I want to make a movie 
you know, that's pound for pound, you know, word for word, history of Alexander Hamilton, and that's what he put out, I'd be very upset. I'd be like, that's not history at all. But he said, nope, want to tell the story of America uh, through the, the people of America today. And he did that. I'm going to be honest. A lot of people don't want to see the actual history. I'm just saying. Yeah, you really don't want that smoke. And and I just really loved how he touched on that in that movie. Yeah, I'm saying. That was honestly like those arguments. Even though that was kind of just a whole spiel of itself outside of the argument. I did love that because it did lead way back into the argument of his ego. But I just wanted to touch on that. So shout out to Sam Levinson. You are not doing anything wrong. You're just being an authentic filmmaker. This is what filmmaking should Keep be. Keep it up, man. Keep it up. For real. And honestly, it's it's cool because, you know, now this movie, in a sense, won't be really under the scrutiny of, you know, being a black filmmaker being reviewed by, you know, white people because a white man made it. Yeah. And so now he doesn't have to go through the whole bullshit. Oh, you made this, for, you know, for the culture and this is how this affects black people today and cancel culture and, you know, pandering. No. no. White filmmaker made this. Talk about it. And, you know, that's what I, one of the things I really like about this movie. Um, tying it up towards the end of the film, um, the damage has been done. They have argued just about everything. Mm. Um, I really liked how the movie trying to just ended, like, basically, where do we go from here? I mean, we spent the entire night saying the absolute worst shit to each other. Yeah. And, like, there were spurts where they really came together and you saw the love and, like, why they were together. But honestly, like, I looked at it and was like, hey, like, I don't time to break up. Because it... I don't know, something about arguing, it's just like, when you say the worst things to each other, A, you don't forget that stuff. It's yeah, like... you do not. It's, it's almost like, um, drunk words or sober thoughts. It was mm-hmm. kind of like that. Angry words are, angry words are the things you don't say, you know, on the, on the regular. But a lot of the shit they said to each other was very, very messed up. But at the end of the movie, like, they just seemed like, you know, the spoils of war and they just kind of come together and will continue on with their life. But I, the ending was just, just that, like, where do we go from here? Yeah, I am um, in the end, towards the ending, like, I did, um, I did like how Malcolm kind of sort of finally got a little bit over his ego and humbled himself, because that's a problem that a lot of us men have today, like, our ego. We don't, we don't like to deal with it. I like how Malcolm kind of so, sucked it up, but then again, it honestly, I was thinking, like, honestly, can y'all really work? Like, can y'all really still work, work? Because, like, um... Like, I know Marie, he, he told Marie thank you, and he said he was sorry plenty of times, and he finally told her thank you, but then again, honestly, I'm just thinking through the aspects of Marie. I know fe- I know how females work. Do she really forgive you? Like, I honestly just don't, like, I really don't know, like, where you can go from there. And they really said some messed up shit to each other. But, like, I was thinking, Marie, where do you go after this? You failed as an actress um, from what he was saying, and then Malcolm, um, you can easily go off and get some uh, some new booty or do whatever. But are they gonna be as um as raw and authentic as Marie has been to you? Like so, like I really feel like it was a case of they're with each other because they love what each other. Bring I don't know if necessarily they like he said he loved Marie just because he like he really like he really loves Marie. But then like. Just when he crammed on her, bro, I was like, bro, do you really love her to say that shit like that, bro? Like, it it, it was so hard to think, bro. Like, I really was like, damn. If it was me, I'm telling y'all, hey, man, y'all need a break. Time, like, about for about five years. So, yeah. This ain't gonna work out. Because, like, 
I don't know, like, them saying that type of stuff is just real rough, man. I was like, damn. And he almost, Malcolm looked a little bit uncomfortable. But then again, he looked like, he felt like he was uncomfortable without her. So I'm like, damn. Like, I don't know where you go from there. Like, yeah, where do you go from there? You look like you're hopeless without her. She looks like she's hopeless without you. But y'all can't stand each other. I'm, I was thinking, if that's the case, I ain't trying to get married. <laughs> Seeing shit like that, I'm like, nigga, no. Mm-mm. What? But like I said, you know, where where where, where it could have been. Uh, implication time. So what did you think? Like, where do you think we can go with this? I'm pretty sure we're not getting any more of these, but, you know, what do you think? Um, implications, I would definitely want to see John David Washington and Sam Levinson work together again. Oh, yeah. Um, him and Zendaya can definitely work together again. You know, not they don't have to necessarily be a couple. Um, I loved how they, they the room like they really, I feel like they made each other's acting a lot better. And because I John David did help Zendaya. One big issue a lot of people were having with Zendaya, they could not see Zendaya in this light. Preferably, I finally I grew out of the the, the Disney Zendaya trope right after Spider Man. Like no cap, after the first Spider Man, for some reason I just grew out of I literally forgot that's Rocky Blue from Shake It Up. But I was reminded, and uh, about a couple weeks later, because she said it in an interview, I finally have grown out of um that Zendaya Disney thing. I find that's finally going over past my head, because Marie did make her look like a like a kind of a grown ass woman. A boss, oh, she was never grown. She was a, a boss ass bitch, as they like to say. And for John David, bro, like sensational and can't I don't know. I I feel like I. I, I wasn't I don't necessarily like look at Zendaya and see still see Rocky Blue. I mean of course I know she's growing and growing as an actor. It's just like A, you know, she's black, black don't crack. She looks incredibly young. And oh, yeah. B is just, you know, all of her roles besides, you know, this and I don't know about her role in the OA and Oh, the OA? <laughs> and the greatest showman, but you like gonna, you gonna laugh in the OA, she low key did have a little druggy thing. Just a little bit. Well, of course. But but she was a gamer. She was a gamer in the, in the OA. But she was only in a few episodes. Hey, you know. But and she ended up in the hospital library. Okay, I'm done. Nice. <laughs> um, I just think about like how the she she constantly plays younger roles. You know, she's in high school in Euphoria. She was in high school in Casey Undercover. Um, of course, you know Euphoria. She's you know the the more adult you know topics in, in surrounding high school. But um, it yeah, definitely was dry. This is definitely her most adult role for sure. Um, I could definitely still see how she's, you know, avoiding, you know, full nudity on screen, but we'll talk about, we, we don't have to talk about that. And, and, and for my viewers, like, or listeners, it's not a Quattro's a pervert, he wants to see Zendaya naked. Like, I promise you that's not what it is. I can go my whole life without, you know, seeing Zendaya naked. It's just like, um, if you're gonna do it, like, do it. I, you know, that's a, that's a euphoria. This is a, that's a euphoria problem I have not a mocking Marie problem but um yeah I I in terms of just implications for me I'm sure we're not getting any any more uh sequels to this but you know I definitely like what this you know could do to film and you know I hope you know his monologue kind of judges people up to be like to create films the way they want to be created not based on you know social norms or what people think will get you canceled and constructs you know, yeah yes. constructs yeah just just make the films the way you want to make films i mean yeah the great the, the greats do it and they're great because they do it i.e martin scorsese i.e quentin tarantino i.e spike lee i just to name a few yeah. so um you know uh definitely great movie i think this is one 
that will definitely um it's changing the game. We'll, we'll change we'll change some of the game, some aspects of the game. But before we get into the next one, let's rank this bad boy. What do you give this movie out of 10, my friend? I'm going to give this movie a solid 8. I'm actually going to give it 8. The only reason I can't give it a 10 because they did talk about too many of them side characters, bro, that I want to see. Bro, I, I respect that. Uh, I'm going to give it a solid 6. 6 out of 10. I was not a big fan. That's, the writing was way too heavy-handed. Um, the arguments and the and the seemed kind of... Not one note, but they seemed very sporadic and, and kind of out of nowhere. Um, but, you know, the acting and the... the Not story, but the... Um, overall, just tone of the movie really, really saves it. So, definitely just gonna go ahead and give it a six out of ten. So you give it a seven. You give it. A, no, you I give it, it eight. Give it an eight. I give it a six. So that puts it at a seven out of ten cafeteria talk score. So Malcolm Marie gets a seven out of ten. But on to the next one, Slick Rob, take us into it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, this next film just came out not too long ago. And it's called, and it's a story of the Illinois chapter, the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. I'm not actually, I, I'm not doing my Fred Hampton thing because my voice is low at the moment. I am a revolutionary. But yes, this movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, is about, is actually mainly about um, the FBI informant, William O'Neill. Oh, oh, I was going to make my own synopsis. You got one. Stay less. Offered a plea deal by the FBI, William O'Neill infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather intelligence on Chairman Fred Hampton. Basically, to stop the coming of a black messiah, which is literally who's it? Who's it star? Who was it written and directed by? Oh, of course, it stars you know the lovely Lakeith Stanfield, who was my dog since Atlanta, bro. I told y'all he was gonna make it. One of our first cafeteria talk episodes, I put y'all. I, I talked about Lakeith Stanfield. You and, sure did. And yes, you did. mentioned him too, cause I forgot which movie it was, but yeah, starring Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya. You know, Lakeith Stanfield playing William O'Neill, Daniel Kaluuya playing Fred Hampton. We had our dog Dominic Fishback, my girl. Um, she was she played Deborah Johnson or Mama Akuye. Um, well, what's her new name now? Um, Deborah Johnson, the um widow of Chairman Fred Hampton. And then you had Jesse Plemons as Roy Mitchell, and a couple other people out there. Algie Smith and um. Oh my God, I wrote their names down. Algie Smith. Uh, was Aldous Hodge in this movie? Did I say Algie Smith? I meant Aldis Hodge. Yeah, Al- it was Aldis Hodge. Not well. Al- Algie Smith's in it. Yeah, Algie Smith. Yeah, my fault. But Al- Algis Aldis Hodge. I don't think he's in it. the guy that played Jim Brown in One Day in a- One Night in Miami. Oh no 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 oh, no. He's not in that. Ashton Sanders was in the movie. Dominique Thorne, Martin Sheen, and Terrell Hill. Um, a couple other people. Um, I honestly didn't write their character names down. All good. It was also this movie was written and directed. It was written by Shaka King and Will Burson and directed by Shaka King. Yes, and then produced by the Black Panther himself, Ryan Coogler. Bro, shout out to Coog, man. If it wasn't for Coog, we would have not got this movie. Bro, facts. Like, that. give us give us those scores. The scores, yes. It has seven point seven out of ten on IMDb. A ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Come again? Okay. And then an eighty six on Metacritic. Not bad. Solid, solid. And man, look, the cinematography in this movie was so well done. Um, yeah. It reminded me a lot of like old gangster films, like, you know, especially the shots they did with like the cars. Yes. Um, and like it was it was an investigation going on. So it was a lot of like police and 
in a sense, they kind of uh, dealt with this movie kind of like as the police versus like a gang uh, mm-hmm. type film. Um, a film, I can kind of give you an example. It's kind of like the, I get them, I get them confused all the time. The Departed with um, yeah. Jack Nicholson, Brad Pitt, not Brad Pitt, Jack Nicholson, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of gave me that feel. It, amazing movie. Um, and to see um, just the the color in terms of black people, they look so good on screen, man. Just the leather, the afros, man. Just oh, amazing. It looked great. That was absolutely crazy. Um, I couldn't like... We were kind of obviously talking about, you know, the um, visuals and all that. I definitely was... Number one thing that blew me away was um, really the, the like, the, the, the color tones they used. Like, it was some, like... This was, like, some really, like, not dark stuff, but this was, like... It made you think, like... It literally played to the factor of, like, like, like shady stuff. Like, it was a lot of shade, a lot of... A lot of dark tones used um especially when they were inside the buildings and all that in the black panther building and like i was just like wow like and then also just the like you said old gangster type deals like because william o'neill like real talk he was a gangster that was a gangster for real and um all those like different and one of my favorite things was the um because like it literally does show the black panther party what they were the unison with everybody like the the clothing, this plays into visual. The clothing was straight gas. Like it did show. Um, I can't believe I'm I'm even bringing this up. But in Gronish, in the Gronish a couple weeks ago, um, one of the first couple episodes for the for the for the this is basically the end of season three. Um, the couple episodes um where they talked about, where Aaron's character talked about how the Black Panther Party used fashion to help push their um story. This movie literally put, like shows that with the various colors they used, they were very unison and not militant. Not they were very unison, powerful, militaristic styles with the different clothes they used, and it showed like and they showed like they were just from the sixties. Like one of my favorite shots is when they went inside the cl- the crowns when they went to go meet the crowns and mm. get the lovely shot from the trailer. Debbie Chevy, Fred Hampton. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party with the whole unison they were in, like those shots of them in unison standing in arms and all that mm-hmm. shows to the power that this group walked with, why people thought they were dangerous, even though they weren't. It was very like cool. It's, it's just like how they shot um the I don't know, it's not called the house. It's the Jeez, I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, how they shot the the Nation of Islam in Malcolm X and yeah. the way like, they, I how they looked Malcolm. in uh, one day one day one one night in Miami. I did think about Malcolm X when I watched this movie because that's one of Coo- one of Ryan Coogler's favorite films, and I could see how they him and Shaka King incorporated some Malcolm X type bias with the Black Panther for sure. Well, with Judas and the Black Messiah, definitely. And uh, I also was looking at pictures of Fred Hampton. Daniel, like, shout out to the costuming and and makeup team. They really turned Daniel Kaluuya into. Uh, Fred Hampton, which is really, really cool. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like, they really... This look like this was straight out of the 60s. Like, I'm like, bro, like... And Lakeith looked just like William O'Neill. Oh, yeah, especially... Go, go look at some old pictures. Oh, yeah, especially in the interview. I'm like... I'm like, hold on. Bro, that's crazy. Have you seen Eyes on the Prize, by the way? Eyes on the Prize? No, I, I, I watched some of it before I watched the movie, but no, I haven't watched it. I need to thing. watch it. I haven't seen it yet. I saw the first one, because, like, this... this all, all this is in the second one. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's definitely one to watch. Um, but, yeah. So, going into the story... 
What? What? Tell me about it. Cause I know. I know you. Woo. Little. I'm a little history geek here and there. But on um, the story, um, just like one of my favorite um little um little biopics that they did, um, the trial of the Chicago Seven, which actually had a Fred Hampton in it. Um, our dude that's playing somebody in Euphoria, he actually played. He actually played Fred Hampton in that movie. Um, the trial. Like, wait, who? Um, what's his name? That's what's his name from um Waves was in the trial of Chicago Seven. He played Fred Hampton. He played Fred Hampton in the trial of Chicago Seven. Yeah, I had to check that one out. Bet. Yeah, like trial of Chicago Seven. Judas and the Black Messiah definitely did. It didn't, of course. It's not gonna connect everything exactly, but it did literally target line up everything like the story is basically you know fbi oh my god what is jesse lee's character's name oh my god jesse plemons i call him lee jesse plemons character um roy mitchell and corporate william o'neill and um it really did um the story really did play out just kind of how the how history shows because this is literally one of the longest um you know cases ever like because it was literally it's one of the biggest middle fingers to America in general, how they did somebody like this. Um, Because Fred Hampton, what, what a lot of people don't, what a lot of people really don't know was how Fred Hampton was unifying that city of Chicago. Like, you know how people talk about how great leaders died, like Dr. King, Malcolm X and all that. Fred Hampton, I really see Fred Hampton as the last straw. He was the last straw with that because, um, bro, homie was uniting gangs. He was uniting different peoples of color. So We're gonna form a Rainbow Coalition. The Rainbow Co- the Rainbow Coalition, and that feared, that is what feared people in America. Well, the white man, as some people like to say, um, because like, like that's coming for your pockets. Like when you unify those people together, and it um, and the story was very was very gas. Um, I couldn't, I just couldn't, especially when they were bringing out the issues with the crowns because. And in his in actual real life, the crowns, Fred Hampton went to the crowns, and the crowns were the ones that actually were trying to incite the the violence with the with with the um feds and the cops and all that. Obviously, the cops, you know, they play a factor in that, trying to just go off and you know, mess up, rough up people and all that. Mm-hmm. But the crowns in real life, because they were trying to convince, because the Black Panther Party, they were um. And this is all help designed by William O'Neill getting information on them. But the Black Panther Party, they specifically were big on forming that Rainbow Coalition and trying to set up meet and greets to get people together to help raise money and awareness for the kids. Not just that the kids, but also for each other, like building each other up, foundations, money and all that. But the crowns, but they used to speak on the issues with the damn pigs because the pigs were getting all the money. All their money was going to these pigs that did nothing but treat them badly. Mm-hmm. So the crowns were like... We get all that you're saying, but look, we got this. We got the weapons for this. We got the power. You got the voice. So let's unify together and we can kill it. So the crowd's basically trying to incorporate for him to be like, yo, we going to F these pigs up. So what they would do is they would, there's a lot of interviews on YouTube with Fred Hampton talking about the crowns. He's like, the crowns are a very, they have their own way of going, but we are the Black Panther Party. We have weapons, but we use them if we are attacked and all that good stuff. So, and it. It played to that, except it touched more on William O'Neill's aspect of him trying to, you know. I thought it was interesting that they showed that he said they ain't no terrorists, which is true. They weren't. That was one thing I was like, okay, did William O'Neill in real life actually say this? Because in his, in his thing, he does look like he was forced to say a lot of things. Yeah. So, like, I was interested there. I was like, mm. I thought that was gas. And then they, they literally, 
step by step, literally, Fred Hampton's life, even though mainly it mainly was about him, it really does show everything that did happen. Like, yeah. And I went back and watched everything. I'm like, yeah, that's. I you mentioned um, Lakeith Stanfield's character, William O'Neill's character. I just really liked how this movie had a tone of self preservation. Yeah. You know, because the movie starts out with Lakeith Stanfield, you know, trying to steal a car with the fake FBI um, badge, and then he gets caught. Yeah. And obviously, when he sits down with uh, Roy Mitchell, he's been interrogated, he's been beat up, he's been roughed up. Mm. And um, Roy, Roy Mitchell's basically just like, hey, look, you can like go to jail tonight or you can help me with this problem. And then, boom, cut to Judas and the Black Messiah and then the movie begins. Yeah. And basically, he takes a plea deal. He's like, I'm going to get you information on uh, Fred Hampton and help you, you know, get him off the street in terms of my freedom. Bet. Yeah. And, you know, to to see that tone of just self-preservation. Because, I mean, I don't think that... William O'Dell definitely seemed like one of those people. He like he, he could give a shit about what was going on. He just trying to survive. Yeah. Figure out where his next check was coming from. And just survive. Like, he didn't care either way. But now he's in it. And he had to, you know, pick a side. And he chose his side. Like, you know, he wasn't necessarily, like, doing this out of hate for, um, for Fred Hampton. But to, you know, preserve himself. And that was the sad thing about it. And that's exactly how it is in the hood in real life. <laughs> yeah. I just wish they had focused more on, you know, his relationship with Fred Hampton and getting close with them because, you know, it went from like he hadn't known Fred Hampton at all to like he was he was driving his car. He was, you know, talking yeah. to Fred Hampton like he was at his home, you know, like, you know, he he was close to him in a capacity that you know, a lot of people weren't. And they had been around Fred Hampton a lot longer. Yeah. I just wish they kind of focused... And, I, and that, was a, that was some of the things they did in terms of relationships to Fred Hampton that I wish they had focused a little bit more on giving us a better, you know, times table of, you know, the growth in between those relationships. Because I felt like the yeah. relationship between him and Deborah Johnson was a tad um, lost in translation because it kind of moved a little slow and it would like happen in spurts. Like, yeah. one moment they just met and then... 20 minutes later, like, she's pregnant, and it just was like, oh, okay, like, because obviously it's a history movie, so you know mm-hmm. what happens, like, you know what happens is just getting us there. Yeah, um, that was, was my a issue. Bit, like, mm. The pacing was a little off with those. Yeah, because, like, the thing is, they did a really interesting thing. They really, and see, that's the big thing, the misleading thing about it, using the term Judas and the Black Messiah, because this was really... And the trailer looks like it's all about Fred Hampton, Black Panther Party. Yeah, this movie, that's is what I re- this movie is really about the life of William O'Neill. Like, and it's so crazy. Like, so like it's hard to like. It's just really hard to balance that out because like, you have such a high like, it's starring basically starring two people, but it's really about one specific person's interrogation of another. And I was just like, it was hard because you want to know so much more about Hampton because of what he did for history, and, and and the people. The people, so like, I'm just like, uh, like, like you mentioned, like, bro, I want to see a lot more of him and Deborah Johnson. Like, that's why towards the end, like, when it came towards like his death, I'm just like, it was, I know, and I give Dominique Fishback the credit because she acted her ass off in that shit, but like, it was hard to really feel so much because one, you already knew what happened to him. And we've seen this happen, we've seen this a couple of iterations before. One, the trial of Chicago 7, where they didn't show his shooting, but they showed like a, small glimpse of it um it was hard to really feel for her because we didn't get to see a lot more of her in the movie we only saw her i believe in like maybe eight to ten scenes i'm not 100 sure and maybe maybe this was because maybe mama okoye mommy okoye what i believe i say her name now i'm deborah johnson 
because they actually sat down with her before they wanted to make the movie. Her and Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. of the Chicago Cubs, you know. So maybe that was a choice by them to want to be like, y'all could do this, but we don't want this. Maybe she didn't want that to be seen. All of that. Maybe not all of what Fred Hampton was to her. I don't know. Maybe that was, but that was hard. Like, I was like, eh. Like, it was hard for me because, like, I really, at some points, I really didn't want to hear much about, because, you know, how they had, like, them quick things of him going back to the FBI informant. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see all that. I wanted to see the Black Panther Party, you know, recruiting more people, or Fred Hampton, his, his, um, what's it called? His, his growth within, within Chicago. I want to see a lot more of that, but you got more of William O'Neill, but it was mainly more about his life. And I'm just like, uh Oh, uh, this is tough. Cause think about it. That was at a certain point we didn't see Fred Hampton at all. Well, obviously when he went to jail, you know, I would love to see that. Like how they did Nelson Mandela when they did the Mandela movie. How Mandela was in jail. I'd love to see that with Sharon and Fred. Cause like, yeah, that really isn't touched on in history. Fred Hampton really doesn't talk about how that was when he went to jail. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why I wasn't in there. Cause I'd never seen much or heard any interviews of how his experience was in the pen. Yeah, cause he was in there what two years? Good amount of time. And it was sad that when he got out, they. They were J. Edgar Hoover, who I wish also had a bigger role in this movie because, like... He only had, like, one, two scenes? Yeah, maybe. Maybe two. And, like, because he's so important to the story. Like, he's he the is. reason it all happens. Um, it's it's just like in The Untouchables where, you know, they're they're trying to get to Al Capone and Al Capone's in the movie, two scenes, played by Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that, that J. Edgar Hoover was like, hey, putting him in jail is not enough. We need him dead, and um, and it, that scene is so heartbreaking. Where uh, William O'Neill is talking to to, to Roy Mitchell, and Roy Mitchell's like, "Hey, we need you to help, you know, take him out." And he's like, "Did you? Well, I, I guess like I figured I figured you a cop supposed to know all this stuff. He's about to go back to jail. Like they're gonna they're gonna put him back in there." And yeah. he's like, "Nah, like you we gonna have to take him out." And I just think that's like the saddest thing. And one thing that I um I noted, and it's it's crazy they put this at the end of the movie, like the movie's over right before the credits hit. Fred Hampton was twenty one years old. Yeah, I just turned twenty one. Like that is insane that he was twenty one years old, man. He's built different. There's no way. And he had the and he had the the he had the mind. The he was so wise of a like a forty to fifty year old guy. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And a lot of people. And it's funny. A lot of people. I kind of. I'm not gonna say this, but um, um, a lot of people, um, when your your boy Yvonne, I first mentioned that when when we first one time when we first got done recording something for being black in America, um, I sat down with Yvonne because he was here for about a while. And we had our little talk, and Yvonne, shout out to our boy Yvonne, he's been on the show tons of times. Yes, Yvonne, Yvonne, he wanted to you know he wanted to because you know he was part of my project. So he wanted to know he wants to really know my take on a being a black person in America. My take because he was curious on the scene. I can't say anything. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Why would I go that route? So that led to a whole other conversation, and I it led to me talking about Fred Hampton, and he was like, "I've never heard of him," and I was like, "Bro, I got you." Guess what's the first thing he said when he looked up Fred Hampton? Whoa. Oh, so he's a socialist. Whoa, he was a socialist. But honestly, the biggest thing that I think. A lot of people misconstrued about Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton came from a middle class person. He was a middle class family man. Mm. He was like you and me. We both come kind of middle class families. Yes. We've had pretty a roughly good upbringing, all that. Yeah. That was Chairman Fred Hampton. But what separates him and a lot of people in the black community, kind of the idea of William O'Neill. They look out for themselves. A lot of people mm-hmm. in the black community, we want to look out for ourselves. Fred Hampton was all about the people. 
that's where it falls to that class of socialism. So there's no real issue there. Like, and that's the issue they that's another main people they had with Fred Hampton. He was a socialist. Because America, America America's biggest problem, they don't want to become a dictatorship. So they're like, oh, if you do socialist, socialism could lead to dictatorship because they have one person leading another. That's not true. That was the idea of them really trying to get rid of him because he was not with that capitalism shit. No. Yeah, so like, and I thought that was guys, I think that's what a lot of people risk about him. He really did care about people and country. You just can't look at what what class he was in or what title right. they had under him. You have to like bury under that. And like, I, I thought that wanna, was very bad. I do want to mention, because you mentioned his love for the people. You know, I got to do the line because I, I got it down, baby. Yeah. It's, I don't believe I'm going to die. No car, Rick. I'm not gonna believe I'm gonna die because I got a bad heart. I don't believe I'm gonna die slipping on no ice. I believe I'm gonna die doing what I was born for. I'm gonna die because I love the people. I love the people because I live for the people. I live for the people because I love the people. Bruh, just that, that scene alone, I've probably watched 100 times. That. Oh my god, it was so good. It was. Oh my god, bro. Daniel Kaluuya murdered that. Bro, I'm mad they put that in the trailer, but I get it why you would put it in there. I am a revolutionary. I was like, bro, because like that literally is like, you hear Fred Hampton, you hear, I am a revolutionary. Like, I am a revolutionary. By the way, Daniel Kaluuya did win the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama, so... Yes. Respect, and he definitely deserved it because he ate it, and it was just. And and I will real quick, like super quick sentence, like shout out to the Golden Globes this year. We got I saw a lot more representation than than the normal. Audrey Day for Billie Holiday, uh, versus the People, uh, versus the United States of America. Then Kalua uh, as Fred Hampton, Soul Pixar Soul. Jimmy uh, Fox. I feel like I feel like there was somebody else. Chadwick. Chadwick Chadwick Boseman did win um, Best Actor in a Drama um, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So, shout out to the Golden Globes for a little bit more representation this year. Keep it up. I'm saying it, man. Um, I also wanted to mention just how heartbreaking the end of the movie was where they assassinated um, Fred Hampton. And even leading up, because that scene where Lil Rel meets him in in the... in the bar and he's like he gives him the drugs that he eventually gives to Fred Hampton and he's just like like he's Jones and like like he's yeah. Temple's characters he's like bro I don't want to do this but I know I have to if I don't you know want to you know stay away from jail and when he he's screaming he's like hey oh, show me a badge show me a badge and that man hands him back the newspaper and he opens the newspaper and it has like the badge that he tried to use on the yeah. FBI I was like oh my god bro it was that was just tough to watch because Seeing what money can do and circumstances could do to a person, I really felt bad for Liam O'Neal because on me, I wanted to fade that nigga the whole movie. I wanted to, hey yo, but I felt so bad for him right there because like it gets to a certain point when they tell you you gotta kill somebody. Basically, you basically killed the man. Like yeah, and he didn't want to do it. I was just like, it's making me think of that man Thanos. Mm. The hardest of choices requires the struggles of wills. Like, and yeah, I really man. felt bad because like even though he was an informant. He did grow a connection with those people in the Black Panther Party because they were a family. Even right. though he was the informant, he did grow a connection with those people. And you saw when right before he left Chair Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton's um before he left the um 
Leon Building, he he looked genuinely distraught and could not look like he could not move. Like I was just like, bruh. It was hard to watch that scene because we knew what was gonna happen. I'm like, bruh. Bruh, I'm like, bruh, don't I was just thinking, bro, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't. But I we knew what was gonna happen. And that that scene alone was a lot because I was just thinking about that bit, bruh. I was thinking about Chairman Fred and him the dream, like, bro, he in the belly, bro. He never got to meet his dad, bro. That shit was crazy. Like, that shit's still mind-boggling to me. They actually did that. Yeah, man. And, and I'm sure there's so many more stories we don't know about. Yeah, I'm that, still... The I'm FBI still, taking out people. Yeah, I'm still trying to do research on that because it's so... That was one of the long... I think that still is the longest um trial with the FBI in U.S. history. Mm. Like, because just how crazy it is. Cause I I think cause he was on the on the roll to really do something great. Just like like you mentioned before, the Rainbow Coalition was such a great idea, and I just really loved how they really focused on how the Black Panthers um, were about you know the people and stuff like that. Like when Fred Hampton Red Hampton got that like two thousand dollars to to run off to Cuba with with Deborah Johnson, you yeah. know, before they sent him back to jail, he just was like. I'm not running. Like we should be focusing on this clinic we're trying to build which in our neighborhood. Which did, which is um, which is awesome. And it's, it's still up to this day. It was named after um the dude, the Black Panther member that was actually shot. Yeah, Jake, wasn't it? Was it Jake? Well, they call him Brother Jake. I don't know what his actual full name was, but they called him Brother Jake. Uh, and that was a really good subplot too. That uh, we we kind of did. We kind of haven't mentioned. That was actually that happened in real life. Yeah, that situation with him actually happened in real life. When I went back and looked at it, that actually did happen. That's he got into it with some pigs, and yeah, he shot some, and then he died. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing. I really and like they really talked about how like these we, they were really at war with the police. Like that whole standoff at the at the Black Panther headquarters was insane. Uh, and the Jake they, Win- Jake Winters. Yep. Jake Winters. Yep. Um, just. Really well done, man. Like, just what a great movie. Like, the, there were some pacing issues, um, but honestly, this movie was damn near a 10 out of 10. Like, it's really, 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 really good. In terms of implications, I really want to see uh, maybe a sequel to this movie, like, kind of the aftermath of the death of Fred Hampton, or even more movies just like it about leaders like Fred Hampton. I mean, of course, we've got Fred Hampton, we got, you know, a few iterations of Malcolm X, we definitely got Dr. King movies. But even the more the smaller you know leaders that we haven't seen yet, I, want, I'd love I still to see. want I still want to see the man that started it all, even though it's very he's one of the most political people ever that we talked about Huey Newton. Bro. Huey Newton, I need uh, that movie. We I need, need that. We, we need a Huey Newton, bro. That that would be such we a. We need movie. a Huey Newton. We need a Rain, bro. Rain Watt, bro. Okay, nigga. Well, oh. we do we know why there's no Rain Washington movie? We got one, but like I need another Angela Davis movie. Oh, without question. Oh, my God. The greatest orator of all time. Yes, like, I really, like, bro, after seeing this, I really do want to see, like, a, like first thing I probably, I want to hear Huey Newton, like, because the Black Panthers, like, bro, like, them niggas was something else. Like, this iteration, I would definitely want to see what happened after that because a lot of people don't know this. In the city of Chicago, well, not the Black Panther Party, but the Black Panther Clubs, Cubs are still a thing. Mm-hmm. They still, it's just that the fact that since it's more... The FBI and, you know, the police department really can't do nothing now because of the whole thing that went out. And, you know, obviously, they got, they got, they, they, shit, they got, they lost. They lost that one. Um, It was um just because of women, William O'Neill, which, uh, one thing I did want to think about, I don't know. I honestly don't know if he really did commit suicide. <laughs> A lot of people say once you're done with somebody, you just cut them loose. I really think that. Yeah, I mean. I feel like the FBI could have just been like, hey, yo, yo, go cut that nigga real quick. It's very very possible and but i mean like 
why wouldn't they have done it before he you know did the eyes yeah, on the prize? That's what um, I'm saying. Yeah. Thing like if he if they were the ones that took him out, I feel like they would have done it before he got in front of a camera and spilled yeah. all the beans. Yeah. And it definitely wouldn't. It definitely would have never came out. Oh, you yeah. know, but I mean, I I just gotta you gotta think, bro. Like, imagine the guilt, dude. I mean, the guilt. Is... You killed someone who like was literally like the black. They call him the Black Messiah, the like the they second coming him... of Jesus Christ. And this is not too much longer after Dr. King got killed. Yeah, exactly. King was killed in ninety sixty eight. Jesus ninety killed in sixty eight. He was killed in. 69. 69. So, man, like, the, the world is still reeling off of him. And then a year later, then the basically second coming is is killed again. And and it really, it takes the wind out of, you know, a community sales to see their leaders continuously killed. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just, amazing movie. I, really I'm going to go ahead and rank it 9.5 out of 10. I'm going to give it that full 9.5 out of 10. Yeah, I'm giving it that 9.5. It was just a little bit of the issue of the pacing, but it's hard to balance out the two. Yeah, but, yeah. but like the acting from Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Lakeith, uh, Jesse uh, Plymouth, Dominic Fitchback, Algie Harris, really everybody, just amazing performances. Asher Sanders, shout out to my boy from Wu-Tang. Yeah. Wu-Tang. The, the writing, the story, the tone, the directing, the editing, just everything was damn near perfect, man. And just to top it off that album. Bro, bro, who... Pull it up. Who who like wasn't on the album, dude? Like they had Rakim on the album, bro. Rakim. Oh. It, it it just it it's not fair. You had you had uh you had her Nas Hit Boy, uh Black Black Thought C S Armstrong, uh Nipsey Hussle Jay Z Smino Saba amazing song Masego J I D Rhapsody B J Chicago Kid Lil Durk White Dave Hit Boy G G Herbert Pooh Shiesty Polo G Dom Kennedy. Uh, Sir, Safe, Kiana Lede, ASAP, Rocky, Rakeem. I mean, who wasn't on this album? It's like Robert. You always you make uh, mention of the Black Panther um, album when it came out, like the the one for the MCU movie. Same deal, just star studded, beautiful album. Um, but like we said a, a second ago, Judas and the Black Messiah has received a nine point five table score. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to our reviews. We hope you enjoyed it. Hope you could check out this movie. You can stream Makama Marie on Netflix. You can stream Judas and the Black Messiah on HBO Max. And in theaters. And in theaters. Um, I don't know how long. Let's see. Because I think it gives you the date. I'm going to pull it up so I can give that to you guys real quick. If it loads up. If it doesn't load up in the next three seconds, I'm going to avoid. Okay. Here it is. Um... Do, do, do. It does not say how much longer you have on HBO Max to watch Judas and the Black Messiah, but I think it's for 30 days, so I think that time will be coming up pretty soon. So if you haven't seen it or you want to watch it again, be sure to hop on that as soon as you can or go to a theater and go watch it. But thank you guys for listening, man, uh, to this episode. You can catch me on Instagram at Cafeteria Jesus. Not Cafeteria Tall. You can catch me on Instagram at Quattro IV. With the period between the C and the U. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at Red Kool Aid 317. Slick Rob, where can I find you? You already know where you can find me. Slick without the C underscore Rob 2 bs underscore on Instagram. And Robert EW116 on Twitter. Yeah, man. Like I said, Kevin and DJ Newell love y'all very much. Um, I think what we got coming up next week. We got next week, man. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it now because obviously. Of course, it it was raw. Um, that finale of Wandavision 
bananas, raw, sensational, and you're gonna get a review of the entire season next Saturday. Be ready for that. Uh, we love you guys. Thanks, you, thanks so much for listening. We out. Cafeteria talk. Cafeteria talk.